with me to Galatians chapter number 1, verses 6 through 8. I am starting a series tonight on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we are we're going to spend some time here over the next few Wednesdays talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we're not going to talk a lot about it tonight. We're going to talk about why he wrote the, this uh, particular book and, uh, and about the challenge that he was dealing with. And so we're going to talk about preventing a Galatian heresy. The church at Galatia, when Paul wrote his epistle, was going through a very difficult time doctrinally. And the entire book is his response. So let's go to Galatians 1, 6 through 8. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. That's a great phrase, isn't it? Huh? Is that, is that what he preached Sunday night? Praise the Lord. Amen. While he was preaching, I was sleeping. I was seven hours ahead. Y'all must need this really bad. That's all I know. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some which, there'll be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have believed, with that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Amen. Since you already know it, you're just, no. I'm tired, but I'm not that tired. Amen. I want to talk about what was going on in the church of Galatia that caused Paul to feel like he had to write this letter and to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll get into more in the next couple of weeks. Lord, I thank you, God, for your people, for your church. I pray your blessing upon your people tonight. Lord, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated. Amen. The city of Galatia was an ancient city of the Roman Empire. The name Galatia actually is a reference to the people that settled there, the Gaelic people which came from what is now modern France and parts of Belgium, Germany, and northern Italy. They were a Celtic people. They lived in an agricultural society. They were conquered by Rome in 189 B.C. and were absorbed into the Roman Empire. By the time that the New Testament came around, it was a fully Gentile city. It was filled with the typical Hellenistic and Roman cultural, religious, and philosophies of the day. Culturally, they were steeped in the philosophic ideas of the Greek thinkers. Politically, they were under the control of the Roman Empire. And spiritually, they were pagan idol worshipers, primarily worshiping the many gods of the Romans and the Greeks. However, within the first century, 
of this era, Galatia, had a thriving apostolic Christian community. This community, this church, was started by the Apostle Paul and was nurtured by his teaching. When you read the Apostle Paul, his letters to the churches, in many of his letters, he deals with multiple subjects. For instance, if you read his letters to the Corinthians, you'll find that he dealt with multiple issues in the one letter. He dealt with Christian love and what it means to show love one to another. He dealt with the gifts of the Spirit. He dealt with order and structure of church, eschatology. He dealt with holiness. All of those topics and others he dealt with in his epistle to the Corinthians. But when you get to the book of Galatians, he spends the entire book dealing with one particular issue. It is a series of arguments against one issue. Plainly, when you put it down to the brass tacks of the situation, the book of Galatians is really about Christians making a choice of how they want to live. The question was, an issue that was given, that was rising up within the church, it was an issue that was dealt with in your Bibles in the book of Acts chapter number 15. In Acts 15, 1 and 2, the Bible said, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you could not be saved. It was a group that history has called the Judaizers. It was a group of Christians that were telling that were telling converts that they had to obey the law of Moses to be saved. These Gentiles that were coming in from various religions around the world, they were being told that their experience of baptism, repentance, and the Holy Ghost was not enough. They also had to follow after the Jewish law. This became an issue with people that were coming in to the church. And so the Bible said in verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas, I like how this sentence goes, had no small dissension and disputation with them. That's a great way. Isn't that a great way of saying it? They had no small dissension and disputation. That means they had a big dissension. And they had a, they had a fight about it. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. It was the first major theological conflict in the church. It was an issue that the church, if they were going to reach into the pagan Gentile world, they had to settle this question. And so the apostles and elders gather in Jerusalem and they argue the matter. If you want to read at some point Acts 15, you can see that this was not some small, insignificant argument. It was a, it was a, it was a serious, serious conference on doctrine. And when they all present their arguments one after another, then for whatever reason, it appears that James was the leader of 
the apostles at that point, he rendered the final verdict. He said, this is my, this is my decision. And he declared that it was not required of Gentile converts to adopt the customs of the Jewish law. And so they sent out letters and Paul and Barnabas and other speakers went, uh, other preachers went throughout the churches in the entire region in, in the known world and they declared to the churches that this was a false practice and a false doctrine. But now we find that this issue pops up in the Galatian church. There was a faction of the church at Galatia that were telling these Christians that they had to go back, be circumcised, and follow the law of the Jews if they wanted to be saved. It was here where Paul writes the letter to the Galatians as an argument against this doctrine. He is telling them that you can't save yourself in the flesh. Here he establishes the argument that you need to either be born of the Spirit or you can't be saved. Many in the church in Galatia had begun following these Jewish customs and laws. Paul did not merely see it as adding rituals to the gospel. He saw it as a doctrine that was undermining the truth of the gospel. Galatians 1, 6, and 8, we read it to you. And tonight, looks like somebody read it to you Sunday, and I'm going to read it to you again. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. It's clear that Paul sees this adopting of the Jewish rituals as forsaking the gospel and it becoming another method of salvation. He said, which is not another. He said, it's not going to save you. But there, he said, there's some that trouble you. And here's what he says about their doctrine. He said, they would pervert the gospel of Christ to impose the law of the Old Testament on the, on the believers in the New Testament was a perversion of the gospel of Christ. This community began to drift from Paul's theological foundation and training. And his purpose in the letter was to bring them back into practice of the truth. He said in Galatians 4 and 11, he says, I'm afraid of you. What it, what it really means is I'm afraid for you, not that he was afraid of them. Lest I have bestowed unto you labor in vain. He said, all this time I've spent preaching and teaching and traveling and working and writing and trying to get you established in truth. All the years and the time and the months that we spent traveling back and forth, it wasn't like jumping on an airplane or getting on a, in a car. This, these long trips of walking and, and riding camels or donkeys or whatever to get to these lands, all these hours and days and weeks of travel and all the time spent in trying to, to, to preach these pagan religions out of you and this idol worship out of you, and trying to get you founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm afraid 
that if I'm not careful and if we don't establish the truth here, that all that work is going to be wasted and be in vain. Before the church was born in Acts 2, if a Gentile wanted to come into covenant with God, they had to convert to Judaism. They were required, according to Exodus 12 and 48, to be circumcised if they wanted to participate in the Passover. They could receive a standing as a proselyte into Judaism if they accepted the whole Torah, they followed the law, and were circumcised, they came into covenant with God. But to be brought into the new covenant with Jesus Christ, you have to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. Amen. You have to be born into the kingdom of God. And the imposing of these Jewish laws and customs was undermining the power of the gospel in their life. The imposing of these laws, the law had a specific purpose in the Old Testament. The purpose of the law was to bring people to Christ. Galatians 3, 24 and 25. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ. We learned from the law the, the principles of God and its purpose was to bring us to Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. The purpose of the law was to get us to Jesus Christ. But when that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We don't need that anymore is what he's saying. And then, so how then? How do I get into covenant? Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's baptism in Jesus' name that gets us into covenant with Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not the following of an Old Testament rule. It's not the imposing of, of other doctrines. If you want to get in covenant with Christ, you have to be baptized into Christ. Amen. I know that. Now, look, I'm, I'm trying my best to, 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 to lay this foundation for where we're heading. But, I, but, but there are some things that we have to establish as, as foundational for the church of the living God. And that is number one, that you don't take the right hand of fellowship and join the kingdom. You can join a church, but you can't join a kingdom. You can sign up for a congregation, but you can't sign up for the kingdom of God. If you're going to get into covenant with Jesus Christ, you have to be baptized into him. And baptism into him requires the power and authority of his name. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Baptism brought believers into the promise of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they were called the children of Abraham. Because as the children of Abraham, that entitled them to all the promises that God gave to Abraham. Because they were Abraham's seed, they were heirs of the promise of Abraham. So let's look at Galatians. I'm in Galatians 3, 28 and 29. That in Christ, we read verse 27. Let me read it again. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. 
There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. He said, when you are born into this kingdom, the things that man uses to separate people doesn't separate you in the kingdom of God. If you were a Jew before, and, or you were a Greek before, when you come into the church, you're not a Jew or a Greek. You're just a child of God. Those things that men use to separate don't stand. They're, you're neither bond nor free. If you were a slave when you got the Holy Ghost, or if you were a free man when you got the Holy Ghost, when you get the Holy Ghost in God's eyes, you're the same. It doesn't matter either way. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, verse 29, then ye are Abraham's seed. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, all the promises that God made to Abraham in the Old Testament come into your life by the blessing of Abraham, the promise by being baptized. Is that what he said? He said, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You inherit the promise that God made to Abraham. Through baptism, we're adopted into the covenant. And it includes a promise. I know I'm going, I'm doing a lot of uh, just some, some, some basic theological work here tonight. Galatians 3, 7 and 9. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. The scripture for seeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached the gospel, preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The Lord preached the gospel to Abraham. Obeying the gospel brings you under the same covenant that God gave to Abraham. And Paul said, you're blessed with faithful Abraham. We've talked about we talked about baptism. Let's, let's take it just a little bit further and let's look again at Galatians 3. Now let's look at verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus died on the cross to free you from the law. He went to the cross to free you from the law. The death of Christ on the cross redeemed us from the law. It removed the requirement that we follow all those ceremonies, rituals, rules, obligations. But it never removed the moral law. You still have to live the moral law. Thou shalt not kill. Just because you got baptized doesn't mean you go around killing people. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Galatians, the next verse, verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. In, in the book of Genesis, when God called Abraham, God called Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your seed will be like the sand of the sea, the stars of the sky. I'll bless everyone that blesses you, and I'll curse everyone that curses you. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And from that moment on, the children of Abraham have prayed for the blessing of Abraham to come on their life. 
they have, I'm, in just a couple of weeks, just 10 days or so, we've got a, a group of several from our church. We're heading to Israel for, for a tour of the Holy Land. And the first day that we get there, that first night, that first afternoon that we get there, one of the places we're going to go is to the western wall of the temple. It's the last remaining wall of the temple. And when we go there, there's going to be Jews at that wall. And if you look close, they're going to have prayer requests that will be written in paper and stuffed in the, in the cracks in that wall. But there's going, to be, there's going to be Jews at that wall, and they're going to be rocking back and forth, and they're going to be praying, and they're going to be reading, and they're going to be calling on God. And they're going to be doing that just like they have for thousands of years, asking that the blessing of Abraham would come on their life and on their family and on their world. But let me tell you what the true blessing of Abraham is. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the church. Amen. And when you think about it, for all these centuries, people have been praying that that blessing of Abraham would come. And what they've really been praying is that the Holy Ghost would be poured out on the world. And I'm thankful that in Acts 2, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Amen. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so we find through Paul's teaching that the way we come into covenant with God is through baptism in Jesus' name and the baptism of the Holy Ghost that makes us inheritors of the blessing of Abraham. Amen. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is a fulfillment of the ancient promise made to Abraham. It's no longer the law that brings us to Christ. It's not circumcision. It's not feast days. It's not rituals. It's not sacrifice. It's not the blood of bulls and of goats and of rams. It's not these ceremonies, but it's the power of a new birth experience in Jesus Christ being baptized in his name and filled with the Holy Ghost brings us into covenant relationship with God. And when we get in that covenant, every promise that he made to Abraham, he makes to you. Praise God. You can expect to be blessed if you've been born again. You can expect to walk in divine favor if you've been born again. You can expect the grace, the mercy, the joy, and the peace of God if you're born again. Because every promise made to Abraham and his seed comes to you through baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I wish somebody that had it would say praise the Lord right now. Amen. It is a positioning in the Spirit by the new birth process. When then Paul hears that the Galatians are now encountering this group of people that are telling them it's not enough to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not enough to walk in the power of the Spirit, but if you want to be saved, you have to go back and adopt these customs and rituals and circumcision and sacrifice. It's the cross and the blood and baptism. It's not enough. It's a cheapening of the power of the gospel. Can I tell you that anything that diminishes the power of baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost 
is an antichrist doctrine. I know that's bold. I know that's bold because we're living in a generation where every denomination has their own plan. But there is no plan other than the plan in the Bible. When they said, tell me what I've got to do, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost to do anything besides that and say that's what it takes to be saved is an undermining. And so they're telling you you have to go back and keep the law if you want to be saved. It's heresy. Paul didn't see it as choosing to add Old Testament practices to a New Testament religion. That's not what they were doing. They were saying that if you obey the law, you can be saved. It was an undermining of the gospel. Paul said, I marvel that you're removed to another gospel, which is not another. He said, what's happening, our people are perverting the gospel. He said, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, he said, let him be accursed. You heard it Sunday night. I'm going to, you're going to hear it again tonight. Anybody that preaches anything other than repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and fill with the Holy Ghost, it's a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm debating in my head, Brother Steve, how plain I ought to get right now. I'm going to tell you one thing. If some pervert ever tries to get to my wife and daughters, there's going to be a 51-year-old man coming unglued on them like nothing you ever saw in your life. Because it's my job to protect them from perverts. You understand? I'm, I, it's, that's part of my job. That's part of my role is to protect my family from perverts. But if I would do that against a sexual deviant, why don't I protect them from spiritual deviants just the same? All perverts are men wearing dresses. Some of them are men in pulpits preaching gospels that are untrue and unfounded and unbiblical. That's what Paul, am I, is this all right? Did I come home to the right church or did I not? He said they're preaching a perverted gospel. He said, oh foolish Galatians, Galatians 3 and 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Now, now that word bewitched is, is a it, 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 it's, a, it's not just a word that's just slightly thrown around. Bewitched, he's saying, somebody, it's almost like they're working witchcraft on your mind. That you should obey, that you should not obey the truth. You don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name, just do this instead. You don't have to get the Holy Ghost, just do this instead. You don't have to be born again, just take the right hand of fellowship, sign a church card, join this, do that. In everything. He said, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? They're telling you circumcision will save you, but it won't save you. And they're telling you this ceremony and that ritual will save you, but it won't. He said, you got to obey the truth. Amen. And so Paul's dealing with this doctrinal subversion that's happening. Where there's people that are trying to tell the church, that you don't really need this baptism and Holy Ghost. 
So listen to what he says in Galatians 4 and 9. But now, after that you have known, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? He said, after you've known what it's like to be Holy Ghost filled and free. After you've known what it's like to be touched by the hand and the power of God. He said, to give that up. He said, you're not, you're not exchanging it. You know, it's, it's one thing if you're exchanging something that's fair. You know, if you, and, and equal. But he already said it's not another gospel. You're getting turned to a gospel. But it's, and he said, which is not another and he said, here, here he's not even, he said, it's weak and beggarly. You're accepting something that's weak, something that's beggarly. You have the opportunity to be a king and priest in the kingdom, and you're choosing to be a beggar. You're asking to go back into bondage. I know that modern religion doesn't have much taste for doctrinal preaching, but I got a taste for it. For the Gentiles to believe that they could be saved by adopting or observing the law was an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul presented the Galatians with the choice. Trust in your flesh or in the spirit. But if you choose to trust your salvation to the flesh, you're submitting yourself to the works of the flesh. You understand, this is, this is the conflict. This is why Paul is writing the letter. You're having this, this subversive move in the church that's trying to get people to believe that they don't have to obey the gospel, that they can be saved through the works of their flesh, through adopting the customs of the Jews. To choose to live by the Old Testament law was to choose to trust your salvation and sanctification to your flesh's ability to obey the entire law. To choose the Spirit is to choose to be led by, ordered by, and kept by the Holy Ghost. Paul understood that standing for principle often offends people. I wouldn't be half surprised if they didn't void our Facebook uh, message tonight. I had a pastor friend that was preaching on something the other day and they decided that they didn't want him on Facebook and so they closed him down for that service. If I get closed down here in a minute, sayonara. <laughs> but Paul understood that people don't often have a taste for standing on principle. Galatians 4.16, he says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You loved me when I said what you wanted to hear, but now that I'm saying something you don't like, you think I'm your enemy. Everyone loves the pastor until he does something they don't like. Submission is easy when we're in agreement. But you're never really submitted to spiritual authority until you can come alignment when you disagree. Paul said, you see me as an enemy now because, because I'm standing against your pet doctrine. He said, but I'm not your enemy. 
The lie is your enemy. It's a reliance on the flesh that brings the rebellion. The Galatians were being brought to a choice. You can live life in the flesh or you can live by the fruit of the Spirit. I'm almost done, I think. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I've had people say, well, I can't, I can't quit. I can't stop this. I can't stop that. Well, this I say then. Walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is the answer to the weakness of the human flesh. You can overcome anything in your life if you'll walk in the Spirit. There's not a temptation that can take you over and destroy your soul if you walk in the Spirit. Praise God. You may be I know that's exciting stuff. But if you were bound by something, that would be exciting. That you can be an overcomer, but to do it, you've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to learn to get your flesh under subjection. Amen. If this is too much for you, Sunday night's going to be a doozy, folks. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That lust is not only talking about sexual lust. It's talking about anything that your flesh desires that goes against the nature of God. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be it could be sexual sin. It could be any number of things. But he said, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't tell me you can't overcome. Because if you tell me that, you're telling me that the Bible is a lie. And I know it's true. You can overcome. But to do it, you got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Amen. You can have victory. You can have victory. You don't have to be a sinner. You do not have to be bound. You do not have to live in sin. But to overcome, you've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Amen. The next verse, the very next verse, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. The flesh desires what the Spirit has. And the Spirit against the flesh, they're in, they're in competition, in conflict with each other. Your flesh and your spirit are at war with each other. Amen. And these are contrary one to the other. The Spirit of God is not going to allow your flesh to rule. And if your flesh rules, the Spirit of God will not be happy. They're contrary one to another. That you cannot do the things that you would. You can't just do whatever you want and still walk in the Spirit. My God, praise the Lord. Amen. I understand that. I know we're living in a modern age, but there's some things that are old time that's still true. Amen. The flesh is against the Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh. Verse 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You do not have to be bound if you'll be led by the Spirit. So it's a choice. What Paul is telling the Galatians, you have a choice to make. You're, getting, you're being faced. On one hand, they're telling you you can 
You can trust your flesh for salvation. You can go under the law. You can try to do it yourself. Or you can do it with, the, with baptism and Holy Ghost-filled life. You have a choice to make. You've got to pick which one you want. He said, now the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is the desire to be desired sexually by somebody else. You see it all the time. People, people dressing to get the eye of somebody rather than to be modest before God. Praise God. Y'all don't want me to go out of the country anymore, do you? I come back fired up all the time. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which... I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, that doctrine that says you can do whatever you want to do, and as long as you accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, it's all cool. Folks, that does not line up with the Bible. That is a heresy. That is false doctrine. That is a perversion of the gospel. Amen. He said, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then Paul gives the contrast to the works of the flesh. And that contrast is the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is harvest. You plant a seed in the spring, you expect to get a harvest in the fall, right? That, is that what we expect? It's something that grows from a seed to a fruit. The Bible teaches that the initial evidence of spirit baptism is, being, is speaking in tongues. It's the initial evidence doctrine. It, initial means beginning or first. We believe that. We believe that the initial evidence of spirit baptism is speaking with other tongues. But we do not believe that you just speak in tongues and then stay the same way you've always been forever. Praise God. The indwelling Spirit of God should influence our actions, our attitude, our lifestyle, our interactions, our worship, our prayer, our service, our purpose. It's the indwelling Spirit. When you are first baptized with the Holy Ghost, that is the seed that God puts, but he expects a harvest to come of it. And the harvest is the fruit of the Spirit, the true influence. We've had a lot of people get the Holy Ghost, but don't stay under the influence of the Holy Ghost. But the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, through 25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The whole world wants love. It's just the world has a mixed-up view of what it is. 
But when you get the Holy Ghost, you find out what real love is. Everybody in the world wants joy. Really what the world wants is pleasure. But what they need is joy. If you'll get spiritual joy, you won't need all the pleasures of this world. Anybody want peace? Amen. I want peace. But that comes from the influence of the Spirit on our life. He says, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They that are Christ, if you belong to Jesus, you've got to be in the process of crucifying the lust of your flesh. Amen. Praise God. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen. 38 minutes and 10 seconds. Praise God. That's not near as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> For us to really understand why we need the fruit of the Spirit, we had to understand that Paul was writing to let the church know you cannot be saved through your flesh. Your flesh cannot get you to heaven. For you to be saved, you have to learn to overcome the desires and the lusts of the flesh. The battle is always flesh and spirit. Living for God or living for the devil comes down to the choices we make between flesh and spirit. I want to choose the spirit. I want to choose the Spirit. I want to choose life. I want to choose the Holy Ghost. I want to choose the influence of the Word and Spirit of God. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, for everyone that's here under the sound of my voice and everyone that's joining us online. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Thank you for the great promise that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Thank you for the promise of victory. Help us, God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Help us, O oh God, to let the fruit of the Spirit grow and develop in our lives. Help us to become all that you want us to be. I pray, God, that as we move forward in this Bible study series, God, that your word will come alive and we'll learn how to lay hold of love and joy and peace and all the fruit that comes from having the Holy Ghost real and alive and functioning in our life. God, I don't want my experience with you to be dated back to some event that happened at an altar. And then from there, I've struggled ever since. Help me, God, to watch as the fruit of the Spirit grows in the lives of your people. Lord, I pray that you help us. Help us to avoid that Galatian heresy that we can save ourselves through the works of our flesh. But help us, God, to be found under the influence of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.